The reading today is taken from um, John 13, which can be found on page 1079 of the Blue Bibles in the seats in front of you. Jesus washes his disciples' feet. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Thank you for that. Good morning, everyone. How are you? It's good to see you. Uh, my name is, is Pete, and uh, I've actually come on board with Dave Hanbury at the Night Church recently, which is good times. So it's good to be here and good to be preaching to you guys today. And uh, we've been in a four-week series on the Apostle Peter, and we named it, aptly named it, uh, Regrets. I've had a few. And um, so I'm, I'm happy to get into it. I'm excited. So how about we commit our time to the Lord in prayer? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day. We thank you for who you are, that you have revealed yourself to us in your word. Uh, we thank you for Jesus, and I pray, Father, that you would teach us today, that, uh, that you would rebuke us if we need to be, uh, all for your glory and honour. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, recently I finished reading Peter Fitzsimon's book called To Brook, and uh, maybe you've read it. Uh, to Brook was a strategic town that was viciously fought for during World War II between uh, the Germans and the Italians were there and the British and the Aussies were there too. And uh, anyway, there was a funny story that stuck out to me. And uh, there's a bunch of diggers, Aussie diggers, and they're in a hole digging a trench when uh, a pommy captain walks over and says, I've heard you Australians are a most undisciplined lot, but surely you know enough to salute an officer whereupon the digger stands up nonchalantly on his shovel and coolly surveys the pom. Then without a word, he turns his back to him, picks up his shirt, puts it on, does up the buttons, tucks his shirt into his shorts and turns back to the captain, showing him for the first time his epaulettes. 
which signifies that instead of a nameless digger, this man in question is actually a major. And the colour drains from the Englishman's face before coming back and then running back out again. To this point, it has been simply inconceivable that one who carried so high a rank would would be found doing something so lowly as digging. I like that. I like that. At this poor old Englishman, huh? he immediately regrets his pompous attitude. But it's understandable because it's controversial what's happening here. The major is on his hands and his knees and he's helping those who are below him in rank. <clears throat> now, I do think, to our credit, that Aussies are maybe a little bit better at this uh, in society, maybe we're a bit more humble. It's kind of self-defeating, but it's true. I think subtly, though... Maybe we are, in society, a little bit like the old pommy captain. And uh, I think that we see his attitude, it is evident in society all around us, every day. Just look at your own workplace. Imagine a, a commercial pilot jumping out of the cockpit to run down and clean the toilets for the, uh, for the passengers. Or a, a judge jumping down and mopping the floor when everybody's left the courtroom. It's, it's a bit controversial. And I think this hierarchical mindset is there in society, and I think, unfortunately, it can filter into the church. It might be, uh, might be that person, you know, person. I, I wouldn't do that job. Like, I just wouldn't. I mean, that's for somebody else to do. Or uh, I'll do this, but I won't do that. But, uh, that's where I draw the line. Well, I think that Jesus is concerned with that attitude, And I think that's why he teaches us about it today. And he addresses humble service. But before we get to it, I think it's important for us to orient ourselves in the book of John. Where are we? So for context, John 13, 1 to 17 records events that took place on the night before Jesus died. And uh, not all events, it's fair to say, are recorded on this night uh, in John's gospel. But they are recorded and picked up in the other gospels. One example is recorded in Luke, and that's a conversation that's happening between the disciples, and they're all discussing uh, who's the greatest between them. And Jesus, always being the relevant teacher, he knows what's doing, teaches about this, teaches about humble service to these guys, about looking out rather than in. Now, the narrative itself that we just read can be broken up into three main sections. Verse 1 verse 2 through to 11, and then verses 12 through to 17. And so we're going to attack it like that and make some observations as we go through. So let's get to it. Verse 1. It was just before the Passover festival, and Jesus knew, and we'll come back to that because it's important, that the hour had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Verse 1, you could look at as kind of a banner that's waving over the rest of this section. It's like the book blurb that you read that makes you want to read on. It's all about Jesus' love, how he's loved them, and will continue to love them to the end. And then it goes out and shows us how that love manifests itself in the way he serves. And that is because humble service is significant to Jesus. And that's the first thing. But let's have a look. This event, as we said, took place... Uh, at the Passover, and tomorrow Jesus will be dead. So this is one of the last things that he's teaching these guys. 
So I think that's pretty important. Three years of ministry, this is the last, one of the last things. Now, my beloved, Lisa and I, if we run out of milk, we write on a post-it note, get milk. And the note sits right by the door so that I don't forget. So when I go out to, go out to work in the morning or wherever I'm off to, I give my wife a kiss, I look up, and there it is on the door, get milk, so I don't forget. I think this is the same thing. Just before Jesus walks out of the door of this world, this is what he posts, because he doesn't want these guys to forget it, and he doesn't want us to forget it. Humble service is significant to Jesus. That's the first thing I think we need to note here. Now, in the second section, in verses 2 through to 11, this is where the action happens and Peter takes centre stage. And um, as we go through, I think the thing that stands out most clearly is that humble service is countercultural. Let me read verses 2 and 3. Please have your Bibles open. Uh, just see that I'm actually reading it. It'll be up on the screen. Uh, the evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew, there's our word again, as before, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power or in his hands, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Now, there are two clear major players here. There's Satan and there is Jesus. Both are powerful, but John's clear tactic here is to emphasise the all-sovereign power of Jesus over and above anything else, including Satan. He knows everything. He knows all. He's all-powerful. John wants us to know that Jesus is no, no ordinary man. He's an extraordinary man. He's the sovereign king over all things. And he's, he's doing, John's doing something clever here. It's, it's radical. What he's doing is he's elevating Christ elevating him above everything else in order to shock us with, with what comes next. I'll read on in verses 4, 4 through to 5. So he got up, that's Jesus, from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. What we have here, first up, is striking. We have a king who is in the mud. A great king who goes extraordinarily low, now, it was standard practice in early Palestine that when you entered into a house that a slave would wash the dirt and the, the donkey poo off your feet before you went and sat down for your meal. You know, there's no closed shoes here. There's no tarred roads, just sandals and dust. It's a germaphobe's worst nightmare. And now, this night is unique in that it's the time of the festival. And so no one's dialing ring a slave and no one's paying double dollars, so there's no slave here. And so what does Jesus do? He steps up. He steps up and assumes the position. And he even dresses like one. Removes his outer clothing. And that, that's actually, that's plural in that he, he, he removes a lot of clothing. He dresses right down just like a slave. When I worked on a mine site in a past life and in my high-vis clothing... Occasionally, some executive staff would come down on site in their fancy shoes and their suits uh, to view the site and come and help out by maybe throwing a hammer around or something. Uh, really? If you want to get serious, take off the suit, get in the high-vis, get amongst it. Let's see if you're fair dinkum, and it's the same here. That's why Jesus changes. He is fair dinkum about this work, 
That's why he dresses like a slave. And notice too how he doesn't get asked. He just does what needs doing. And he's purposeful about it. Gets changed. He gets the basin. Pours the water. He prepares well. He's not doing a slack job. He's doing it well. The text continues, 6 through to 8. And this is what I call the dance floor of the text. Because it is all happening here in in this little bit. Let me read it. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't realise now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you will never wash my feet. What's happening here in this discourse is crucial for understanding the whole passage. You see, Peter's response is indicative of the way he thinks, right? What's in his heart? And the way he thinks, even if it's subconscious, is that service is hierarchical. In this case, it's based on Jesus' status. It's unheard of for a man of Jesus' importance, Christ, to serve an ordinary man like Peter and the rest of the guys. It's interesting that the foot washing, it says, happens during the meal. Ideally, this should have happened at the start. So my question is, what are the other 11 doing? And the answer is they're doing nothing. Why? Because they think just like Peter, this is a cultural thing. And uh, to them, even if it's only subtle, it's that this work of a slave is for the slave. It is, that's, that's not my job. That's not for me. It's hierarchical. Now, if Jesus, if Jesus were to say, you know what, you're right. I am higher than you. All he does is perpetuate a self-centred, self-important, superior mentality that Peter and the rest of the boys are going to take into life and into ministry. And it's pride. It's putting an emphasis on self-importance in the pecking order rather than humility, which always is other person-centred, regardless of who you are and regardless of who they are. And that's what Jesus is teaching. Now today... It's interesting because humility uh, isn't considered a virtue. Not in modern day psychology. I mean, they typically define uh, humility, and I quote from Baker's Encyclopedia of Psychology, humility is, a, is more frequently referred to as, an, as inferiority feelings or an inferiority complex. However, the Bible is utterly different to that. In that humility is about putting other people first, that doesn't make you inferior to them. In a marriage, the husband, ideally, puts the wife first, but that doesn't make him inferior to her. That's the way we lead, through service. However, the reality is if our culture sees humility as inferiority, then it's rejected. And the natural swing is to pride, self-importance. Life is all about you. It's all about me. This is, this is pommy captain's thinking. Peter's proclivity, it's clear, is to maintain a hierarchy, appealing for Jesus to put himself before others, but Jesus is having none of it. Verse 8, Jesus answers him, Unless I wash you, serve you, you have no part with me. In other words, Peter, if you don't accept my service, but more so the principle of selflessness behind it, You can leave my table because 
our philosophy of life is utterly different. Because to Jesus, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what credentials you have, what you've done in life, good or bad. None of that stuff matters. What matters is humility, other person-centred service. That's what's important. But that's just a surface-level reading of actually what's happening here. And John's theology, I think of, I think of it like a Magnum Ego ice cream. On the outside, it looks good. But on the inside, it's even better. At surface level, this passage could easily be read moralistically in that, okay, well, I'm going to serve people, whoever they are, because that's what Jesus said and that's what I need to do to be a good person. But to read the passage like that is to misunderstand it completely. You're only licking the outside of the ice cream, so to speak. You need to bite in to get the real message, the gooey goodness that's inside John's meaning. I'll read on. 8 through to 11. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Some typical unrestrained exuberance by Peter there. And Jesus answered, Those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that's why he said that not everyone was clean. And we'll come back to some of this in our application, but primarily what Jesus is doing here, he's explaining a spiritual truth by using a human example. Those who have had a bath are those who have been washed clean of the dirt of sin by the sacrificial, unconditional, other person-centred, humble service of Jesus when he gave his life in our place for our sin on a Roman cross. Central to Jesus' mission is selfless service on the cross. And if Peter doesn't get that, and if we don't get that, and understand and accept this humility, then we'll never understand the cross, and we'll never understand Jesus. The cross is cultural hierarchy tipped on its head. A king going low, dying for Peter, dying for you and me. That's the gooey goodness inside John's meaning. And we need to get on board that gospel culture rather than our own. Everything, our service for others, flows from Jesus' original service to us on the cross. Humble service, it's countercultural. This is crazy. It's controversial. The fi- my final point that I want to talk about is that humble service is imperative in the Christian life. That's the other thing that we learn here. The final six verses I'll just go ahead and read because <clears throat> this is where Jesus explains to us and to the disciples how the rubber should hit the road in Christian life. It's not on the screen. I'll just read it. From verse 12. When Jesus had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you, he asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly, rightly so, for that's what I am. John, again, is emphasising where Jesus sits in the hierarchy, up here. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, that's him removing those hierarchical barriers and going low in love, you, his disciples, should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. 
I think this immediately prompts three questions that we'll consider when we think about the so what. What What does this mean for us? Number one, will you be served? Number two, are you being served? And number three, do you serve? Will you be served? Are you being served and do you serve? Firstly, will you be served? This question, firstly, is for those who are among us who don't love Jesus and for whatever reason have said no to the spiritual washing of their sin that Jesus offers. But I want to encourage you to rethink that, to rethink being served by Jesus. Because I think one reason that we might say no to Jesus is because saying yes is to admit that Jesus has something that you need. And it's seen as a weakness. And our anti-humility, anti-God culture will agree with that. But is it? Accepting that Jesus has something you need is not weakness. It's simply grabbing grabbing the hand of an outstretched arm of your king and entering into a mutual relationship. It's not a dictatorship. It's mutual loving relationship. So my question is, will you be served? Or will you at least open up dialogue about it? Because if what Jesus has to say is true, then your eternity is at stake, and this is something that you don't want to regret. But I think there's a second subgroup within, within this question. The question applies to them. People that roll with Jesus, people who say they roll with Jesus, aren't necessarily with Jesus, like Judas. You notice that Judas stays for the foot washing. He's there, but in his heart, he's at war with Jesus. He's about to betray him. But nobody else knows. None of the other disciples know what's going on because he's good at disguising it. And I think it's the same today. A story in uh, Pilgrim's Progress elucidates this well. John Bunyan's Christian classic, Ignorance, is a character in the book, and he is a friend of the king. So this friend of the king approaches the walls of heaven after a long journey through life. He gets to the gate and he knocks. And a sentry looks over the edge and says, Whence came you? And he answered, Well, I ate and drank in the presence of the king, and he is taught in our streets. And then they asked him for his certificate, that they might go and show it to the king. And so he fumbled around in his bosom and he found none. Then they said to him, Have you none? But the man answered never a word. So they told the king, they went and told him, uh, but he would not come down to see this man, but commanded the two shining ones to go out and take ignorance and bind him hand and foot and have him away. Ignorance thought he was with Jesus, but he got a rude shock. Like the character ignorance, those who say they're with Jesus are not always with him, and it's a sad truth, but it's not hopeless. And so what can we do about that? Well, I think we need to assess the fruit of our own lives. Because a heart that is with Jesus is beating with Jesus. It's beating with his for humble service that's outward looking to the world. It loves selflessly. It's other person centred because of what Jesus has done for them. It's in response to that. Now, if that's you, that person can be sure where they stand. It's worth thinking about. But secondly, are you being served? And this goes back to the text. 
Jesus says that those who have had a bath, Christians, need only to have their feet washed. This is a reference to ongoing spiritual forgiveness through repentance. Now we know, as, as we learned, that Peter has this weird view on Christian service and he's challenged for that. And then he has his feet washed, forgiven. So I want to ask you, do you think like Peter? Because we're all in need of this ongoing spiritual soap that he's talking about here. Do I, even, even subconsciously, have a view of Christian service that's based on hierarchy of some sort? In that I, I'll do this, but I won't do that. Now, he, he, I'll leave that to him. He, he can pack up the chairs on Monday. I, I don't do that. That's, that's for somebody else to do. What service is beneath you? At Christmas, we had the camels out on the Corso, and we have a pooper scooper every year goes around behind. I wonder if he'd offer that service. What about when the donkey urinates on the back floor like it did? Would you get down on your hands and knees and wipe it up with paper towel like one person did? Clean it up? What about going along to soup kitchen on a Monday night and sitting at a table, the same table, as three hungover, slightly on the nose, homeless men having a meal with them? Would you do that? And I think pride, that's where it is, I think, I think it can be as subtle, even, as refusing to serve another person even by having a conversation with them. Giving someone your ear because they aren't as smart as you. I mean, you sit there with me quietly dismiss what they have to say because this person doesn't even have a degree. Do you think like Peter? Then I want to encourage you to come to Jesus in repentance for forgiveness of that. That's what he offers Are you being served? But lastly, do you serve? Be good if you ask yourself. It comes straight from the text. No servant is greater than his master. Am I greater than my king? Do I follow his example or not? And there are a few reasons why I think we don't serve, and I've mentioned one earlier about Peter, that we think like him. There's another one that I think is pertinent. People who can serve and they don't tend to be inward-looking. It sounds harsh, but it's a self-centeredness. It's, it's laziness. It's all about you. It's just another form of pride. What's best for me today? I'm going to leave church as soon as it finishes and get home. Got to make dinner. Think, got other things to do. Don't want to clean up. I'm not interested in doing anything else. Got to go. For those people, church can be about coming and being served rather than serving, and it's utterly different to what Jesus is saying here. So I want to ask you, is that you? And the thing with inward-looking people is they tend to be blind to service opportunities, things that are around them, because it's just not on your radar. Not like something like what's the latest post on Facebook or what's doing in your email, what's having at work, dinner. Is that you? And on the other hand... Of course, there's people who just do it to be seen, out of obligation. That's the same thing. That's pride. So this would be a good time, I think, to reassess where we're at when it comes to serving others who are around us, because we don't want to regret this. And so why don't you ask someone today how you can wash their feet? Or this week, what can I do for you? Or just identify something and just do it. And we're always happy here to give suggestions. But there's no hiding from the message in this text. 
Humble service is important to Jesus. Although it's countercultural, it is imperative in the Christian life. We love by humbly serving because we have been loved in humble service. Let's pray. Our great and wonderful Father, we do thank you that you are a God who looks outwards. Uh, Even within yourself, within the Trinity, how can you serve one another? We thank you that you too have served us, the Lord Jesus. I pray, Father, that we we would be encouraged to be more like you and like Jesus. And so I do pray for that strength uh, to do that and to uh, follow our Lord's example. We pray in his good name. Amen.